Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast, where we discuss tea as self-cultivation. All the life lessons, zen, awakening, and insights that come through a life of Cha Dao. This will be the focus of this podcast, developing and cultivating ourselves and our spiritual practice through tea. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, how it's produced or made, you might want to check out our magazine, Global Tea Hut, which also includes those topics. If you're interested in the practical aspects of brewing tea, we have a whole series of videos on YouTube called Brewing Tea. Also, you're welcome to come to our center, Tea Sage Hut, here in Miali, Taiwan, and sit a 10-day course where we incorporate all these aspects from the linear to the brewing tea to the spiritual cultivation all together, and you can take a deep dive and immerse yourself and ground yourself in this beautiful practice. We're so excited to have this forum to discuss all the life lessons that we can cultivate together through tea. Welcome, put on a kettle, get out some bowls, and let's drink some tea together. there and welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. I'm Morgan. And I'm Janos. We are glad to have Wude back on the podcast today to discuss the ways we can improve our tea. So take out a bowl, heat up a kettle, brew some tea and join us as we explore this fascinating and insightful topic. Welcome back Wude. Hi, great to be back on the podcast. Wuda, so often we are conditioned or inclined to think of teaware as the most effective way to improve our tea. However, sometimes we don't realize that before it's about acquiring these precious objects, it's about cultivating the tools needed to brew tea within. Can you talk a little bit about how these less linear and intangible approaches to tea can directly affect the quality of our tea? Mm. Yeah, I think... I think it's easy to get into the idea that like we're, you know, because we we come from this society that we're bettered through uh, gathering things, that somehow the gathering of things makes us more than what we are, but we can't really be more that way. Obviously that fails. The whole economy functions because that fails. If, if there was actually a product that satisfied human beings, then every human being would buy that product and buy nothing else. And the entire economy would shut down. But we buy something, it scratches a temporary itch, but then the hole inside of us begins again. And there's a need to do that again and again. So you'll just start accumulating lots of teaware mm. if you do that. And you'll get into this uh, relationship of tea as, uh, as a thing, as a con- consumable. And you'll start get hoarding tea and teaware in an attempt to improve your practice. And it won't work. It won't satisfy you in that way. And in fact, you'll begin to realize that the true joy in tea is in sharing tea, is in serving tea. This is in our tradition. We don't learn to make tea. We learn to serve tea. So the more you learn that the true joy is in serving tea, the less attracted you are in like gathering and hoarding things. And the more you begin to look on those instruments as tools of service and you start to ask, uh, you know, and uh, what value does this bring to my ability to serve others? Well, how, do the, how does this help me to do my uh, job, so to speak, to to uh, to bring joy to my life through serving others tea. So how does this help me to serve others? How does this help me? And eventually you start to, that will, that value will start to be incorporated even into your eye. So as you look upon teaware and other things, you'll begin to see that, uh, you know, oh, this pot could help me do, help me serve people in this scenario. And this pot could help me serve in this scenario. 
And not that there's all, not always a time for enjoying tea and taking it in yourself and, and exploring and learning about it. I'm very passionate about tea and teaware and, and, and tea history and everything. But that attachment to all the uh, physical uh, accoutrement and tea itself and that that attitude isn't relating to tea as a as a spirit as a practice as a being mm-hmm. and relating it more, to it more as a like stuff to collect um, and uh, that in itself can kind of get in the way of progress so you got to kind of transcend that you know one of the great tea masters of all time constellations in the sky of tea rikyo said uh, imagine your life without tea and if it's any different you don't yet understand tea mm. So you have to get to the space also where it's it's just the uh, it's the frequency it's the it's the instrument and you can play music on any instrument you might have an instrument that works best for you for me it's tea but it's the music that's important uh, tea got it from the mountain and from the the water and the water got it from the sky and the sky got it from the stars. So uh, I think improving improving one's tea practice really always starts with um, with improving the self. Mm. Um, so you know this is why I always say in our tradition you're not really practicing tea in our tradition if you're not meditating morning and evening. So self cultivation is like is is a life of tea. A life of tea is a life of self cultivation, and so really every what every artist in any craft discovers eventually is that beyond the skills beyond the techniques beyond even talent and then of course beyond the instruments and tools and medium mm-hmm. is the artist herself which is why michelangelo said that an artist must be as close as possible to a saint so that through them god god flows and is channeled so the greatest art you know comes through a, a pure being so we try to purify ourselves um, you know, we may never come close to sainthood. I certainly won't in this life, <laughs> but uh, I cultivate myself so that I can make better tea. And this is the the key element in the tea is always the brewer. And a wonderful experiment that you can do as a as a tea brewer is to uh, you know put out teaware and tea, and then with some tea friends, you know, uh, maybe get together three or four of you and uh, put out some tea and teaware, and like mid session switch brewers. And you'll see how much the tea changes just by switching the brewer. It's quite profound, the, the 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 amount of change that happens. Just like you could hand the same guitar and sheet music hmm. to three different musicians, and they're literally playing the same song on the same guitar, and it will sound completely different hmm. played by different uh, musicians. Hmm. So the musician herself is also very relevant and uh, very important. And this goes actually not just for the preparation of tea, but also for the reception. Hmm. Which this is a loop, right? So in the same way, uh, one's ability to actually drink tea, to receive tea, to drink tea with the whole being, to take it into the spirit, to have the communication on a spiritual level uh, that is available through this practice, that then transforms the being and makes one better when one is the host and serving. So this goes actually in a kind of circle. In order to be able to serve, you have to first take in the medicine. In order to take in the medicine, you have to be, there has to be an open kind of clear channel. It's like a lot of, uh, uh, in Zen Buddhism, we talk this way about a lot of the Prajnaparamita Sutras, which are overtly, incredibly illogical. They don't make sense in an ordinary way. Go try and read the Heart Sutra or the Diamond Sutra. They're incredibly 
uh, obtuse and difficult to enter. But if the field is plowed, so to speak, if so if the human has the right uh, view and the right habits in their life, which include the like proper diet and meditation and all these things. If the if the if the being is prepared, then these sutras will go in. Mm. Uh, sometimes it takes a long time. It took like twenty years before the Diamond Sutra penetrated, like really penetrated me. Uh, twenty years of reading it over and over and over again, you know, on a at least weekly basis huh. before it really went in. The Heart Sutra went in quicker. There's some affinity there with with myself and it. Uh, but the Diamond Sutra now is, is you know, it's going in and doing its its work. Mm. It'll probably have work to do the rest of this lifetime. But it, uh, it you know, it was a lot of, it, I guess, creating the receptivity for it. And so I think that's very akin to tea. If the, you know, if the fruit is ripe, if the, if the field is fertile, uh, she'll go in very deeply and the communications will be very deep. I often meet people when they come here to the center and this isn't some kind of like supernatural power. It's just training. I've just learned over time to be able to tell, oh, uh, this person, uh, you know, can drink a lot of tea. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just physically. You can look at it in those terms of physical tolerance, but I mean also the, just the ability to take it in, to communicate, to have dialogue, to be affected by it on a medicinal level, on a spiritual level, on the level of the shun, to actually relate to tea on that level. This person's going to drink it more as a beverage and focus on its flavors. There's nothing wrong with that. There's also powerful communication in that too. I think it's, you know, in fact, you know, the really deep question is, you know, when nature creates something so perfectly suited for our senses that it brings us bliss. Mm. You have a power in that as well through the communication of flavors. So, learning to taste tea in the mouth and go beyond flavors then to the mouth feel mm-hmm. and so on and then go beyond that to the body and go beyond that to the spirit there's each people have when they come to tea they have a different affinity and that will change over time mm-hmm. they might the person i meet right now might not have much affinity and a year later they got tons mm-hmm. so when i when i say i know their affinity i'm not saying i know their like lifelong relationship with tea it's just like right now this person's not going to drink much tea and then sure enough you'll see like two bowls in there they're done and then you look at someone else and you're like, oh, this person has tea spirit. They're going to, you know, this person going to take lots in. Um, and this this also works from a level of a teacher too, from the level of Zen. When I people come here to the center, I'm like, oh, this person's going to resist teachings. This person's going to take in some. This person's going to thirsty. They're going to take in lots. Hmm. They're able to digest more. So it's not just the ability to take in. It's also the ability to digest, right? Because there's there's more teachings and then you can possibly take in in a 10-day course. Mm-hmm. So it's like being in Costco. There's more food than you can eat. So how much you can eat will depend on your capacity to eat. But then just eating is not enough. How much can you actually digest and become? Because your psyche system also will just get rid of things. Like when you read a book, oh, that's really important. And then, you know, you forget like a week later some of it. Mm-hmm. Some spiritual books I go back to and read them, you know, many, many times in my life. And I read them like for the fifth time and I get to this like paragraph in the middle and I'm just like, how did I miss this the other five times? How did, this is so important. How did I miss this? And it's because I wasn't, I couldn't digest it at that time. So it just went through. I just forgot it, in other words. So um, all of this is there. So creating the, the field in which tea can come in and cultivating yourself is really the starting and finishing point. Because it allows you to receive tea. And then when you receive this medicine and start to become it, and you start to have the conversation with her that you need to have, uh, because working with with plant medicine is much more about uh, shifting your worldview 
and in creating that uh, spiritual communication with this plant. And, and that's the really where a lot of the ability to work with it as a, as a chapel show, as a tea doctor, mm. as someone who's going to use this plant for healing power is a lot more about facilitating that, that communication, which means shifting worldview and preventing the more mainstream worldview from taking over this alternative worldview. So kind of stopping the obstacles to this worldview and creating this worldview. This is kind of the more paramount underlying thing that uh, that is what needs to happen. And that involves a lot of self-cultivation. And so then after self-cultivation, the steps to improving tea are more, you could say, linear. They're more obvious. But they might not be in the order that you think you're, they're in, right? So the order that I would I would put out there and then... You know, maybe you guys can ask questions. So I would start and end with self-cultivation. That's mm -hmm. always the easiest mm -hmm. way to perfect any art. In fact, there's an old Chinese saying or, or, or like a little story where the student asks the master how to paint the perfect scroll of calligraphy. And the master's answer is perfect yourself and, mm -hmm. and paint naturally. So I would say the best way to brew tea is the same. Perfect yourself and brew naturally, right? So from the person comes. And I also came to that lesson the hard way. I was a little bit foolish. I thought my teacher made such awesome tea because he knew all the details hmm. of like what temperature of water and when to pour it and how to pour it and how to hold his elbow and all these things. So I spent, you know, a decade working on those things and, and then still wasn't where I wanted to be and then thought, oh, it's because he has special teaware. So I saved and scrimped and saved and got... <laughs> you know, a silver kettle and a nice Yixing kettle and antique pots and all these things that you, that are there. And then still, you know, with simpler tea where he made better tea. And then I began to realize that it was also to do with, with his, his spirit and him and where he was at in his cultivation. And I started to focus and understand that more and understand what Rikio meant when he said, imagine your life without tea. Um, so... Once you, you know, you start and end with that, that's kind of the field in which it all happens is, is we all have an affinity to tea that's inborn though. And you can't really do anything about that. But what you can deal with is the preparing the field through your own cultivation of yourself, betterment of yourself, creating more space for tea and, uh, uh less density in the ego, etc. And that happens through meditation, through diet, through, other practices as well, of course, all the spiritual practices that one does, study, prayer, meditation, uh, diet, uh, service, etc. All those things that create the, the field in which tea can then be received. And then her medicine does its work. When the work's, you know, I wouldn't say done, but when the work has happened enough, then there's it's kind of in you and it's in your cells and in your spirit and uh, you can then utilize that to serve others which is really the the what one could say the point so beyond that that beginning and end of self-cultivation which is always the best way to improve any art including tea then the specifics of like linearly improving your tea the order is of course first is water hmm. every cup or bowl of tea is 99 percent water so uh, the easiest best way to improve all your tea across the board is understanding water. This means, you know, because tea is all uh, the skill and art of, of tea, the Gong Fu, the mastery of tea is all in seeing and then in using. The using is like developing the right methods. And so first it's like 
that's a kind of seeing. I'll get back to that. This, the seeing is, is like the selecting, selecting the right tea, the right quality of tea. That means knowing tea enough that you can choose uh, living teas or good quality teas, you know? You, so you know tea just by smell, what it is, by look, by appearance, by taste. And then also selecting the right tea for the right occasion, for the right people. This also means like designing a chashi, choosing the right teaware, and choosing the right method understanding brewing methods and understanding where they come from and, and why and how to use them. So that's all like in the seeing, the selecting. And then the using is, you know, the, the method, the method, not just choosing the right method, which is a kind of seeing, but then practicing it enough that it becomes you mm -hmm. so that you're skilled at it, you're talented at it. And you're also connected to its lineage because there's nonverbal transmission stuff. You can't, um, you know, people often like come to workshops or they come to the center or something. They see me for a short time. They're like, oh, that form works for me. They they take the brewing method home. But what you've taken home is a little video clip. Mm -hmm. You've just taken home a little photograph of me in one moment of time. You're not then connected to the lineage. You're not connected to the living spirit. And I don't brew tea that I maybe was brewing tea in that way that you saw on that day for a very specific reason that mm -hmm. had to do with that occasion and mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. You have to watch over many, 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 many situations to get a much broader spectrum of actually what's happening. And then you have to get into the place where you embody it to the point that it doesn't need a form anymore. Mm -hmm. It can adapt itself to any situation. You don't need to, you're not, you're no longer like copying Wuda in 28 thousand maybe even different situations no 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 you're embodying it and you're your own free form of it you can adapt it and flow it into whatever you want so that's ultimately becoming the method so seeing so water is is a part of like is a part of the seeing choosing the right water is a part of the seeing not the using right so the, that would be the that's number one that's primary then number two comes the method and this means choosing the right method and then practicing it until you become it, mm -hmm. which can be a whole lifetime, right? So this is number one is water. Number two is method, choosing the right method and then practicing it until, until it becomes you and you become it, right? Then the next one would be teaware and then finally tea, mm. uh, which surprises people that tea is last on the list, but it is. It's always last. If I was suggesting, even to somebody who's just relating to tea as a hobby, I always, when people say, I always say tea wear before tea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Always tea wear before tea. Always first water, then brewing, then method, mm -hmm. right? Good water, uh, there's a, even old uh, Chinese sayings, right? Average tea in great water is great tea. Mm. Great tea in poor water is a waste, right? Becomes low quality tea. So water is the essence, seeing and choosing and finding the right water is the beginning of tea. It's, it's where tea, all tea comes from and into, right? Then method, improve your methods. If you got good water and good methods, like already you're, I'd say 70% there. Mm. Um, just like if, like this is in any art, right? If, if a, you know, if a photographer has great skills, right? The camera won't matter. I saw there's these YouTube videos where they give these really excellent artistic uh, photographers with, with decades of experience. They give them like two megapixel Barbie cameras <laughs> like or Lego cameras that are like 1.2 mega. They're like toys for children. Mm -hmm. And these dudes go out and make red photography with it. Mm. Like so the skill already will transcend the T-Wear. Mm. Um, you know, the skill will transcend 
you know, and any kind of teaware or tea. So uh, water, then skill. Water is the primary. Mm-hmm. Is everything, right? You start with that. You got great water already, even with no skill. If you got really great water, if you've hiked up to the spring here in Taiwan and on a good day when there hasn't been rain and the spring is pure and clear and perfect, and you bring that water back and you store it properly, and then you draw it properly, right? Already without any method, without any teaware, even an average tea is already going to shine in that water. Mm. That water alone shines. Mm-hmm. And that's 99% of the bowl. And you could literally just boil that water and pour just the water into bowls and people would would to some extent respond you could have a silent ceremony with just that spring water Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and people would respond to some extent in the way that they do to tea Hmm. so then you know you you get the right methods you have to choose the right methods that depends on what you want to do what types of tea you want to brew what you what is the aim of your tea brewing right for me it's all about service and uh, it's also all about tradition and lineage and connected to that nonverbal energy and flow. So it's about these five brewing methods that were given to me and what they do. And uh, that's kind of all I'm interested in. There are other brewing methods, though. So finding the right brewing methods for you and understanding them and where they come from and why. You didn't just pick them up because you happened to stumble into a tea shop on your vacation in Shanghai and saw some shopkeeper that was making tea in a way that he didn't even know why he was making tea that way. right? Because there's a lot of cultural... Uh, we could, you know, uh, phenomenon or cultural, uh, even mores or practices that people do that they don't even know where they Mm. came from or why Mm -hmm. they do them. They just do it that way because that's the way they saw somebody do it or that's the way most people do it. So they just do it that way unconsciously without understanding why, right? That's part of the reason of having lineage is lineage has a good memory Mm -hmm. longer than a person. And it tells you that if it's honest, especially, tells you the, the the history of itself and and its evolution and why things happened and changed and where and when and for what reason and so that it's more intentional and purposeful and that's important to me it might not be to you but find your method and then you have to practice it if you've got skillful method and good water you're already like i said 70% there again this list though of water skills tea where tea is excluding the whole like beginning and end which is cultivation mm-hmm. right so that's the that's that's the beginning and end is self-cultivation right mm-hmm. but we're, we're leaving that out just for the purpose of having a linear discussion of the of within t the order that's the flow mm-hmm. so while we're on this linear topic uh can you speak a little bit more about why t were before t mm. i mean sometimes that might be confusing especially to a beginner you might think like you know, the obvious recommendation is like you got a uh, hundred dollars and you have a real simple kind of, let's say, crummy teapot from the yellow store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the yellow store here, if you don't know, in Taiwan, it's just like a little kind of like everything store mm-hmm. where they sell like home goods and you can get real cheap teaware. So you got some cheap teapot and you're like, I got a hundred dollars. Why not buy the best tea I can buy? Mm-hmm. Right. But we're back to the same phrase that was said about water, which is, you know, average tea in great water becomes great mm. great tea in low quality water becomes low quality tea that's mm. just really obvious when mm-hmm. you play, start playing with water I, th- i think the same for teaware like taking really fine tea and putting it in low quality teaware it becomes average tea taking average tea and putting it in great teaware it becomes great tea and the other thing is that teaware why teaware before tea teaware will last a lifetime 
Tiwar, we have Tiwar that's thou, that's Song Dynasty. Song is 960 to 1279. This is a thousand year old Tiwar. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's here now. So Tiwar could last beyond your life. You could hand your Tiwar off to your children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. Tiwar can travel with you your whole entire life. Mm -hmm. And lots of tea will flow through it. Mm -hmm. Right? And in fact, there's an old famous story about Yixing in particular having a really great Yixing pot where uh, one of the emperors loved to go out in disguise. And they say uh, one night he was out in disguise and he was walking by this simple person's home and he smelled this amazing tea coming from out the window. And so he knocked and it, of course the man invited him in. Chinese people are incredibly hospitable. And uh so had him sit down for tea. He drank the tea and he was like, oh, this tea is amazing. Like, and I'm the emperor. Like, I, I don't even have tea like this. What, <laughs> what is this? So he asked him, what tea is this? And the old man said, well, actually, it's kind of embarrassing. I, I don't have any tea. Um, I, my family has fallen on mis misfortune and uh, we lo lost our money. And so we cannot really afford to buy any tea. Uh, but I do have this teapot from my father. And my father and my grandfather were once wealthy and drank a lot of great tea in this pot. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's filled with the oils of all those great teas that they drank for, for more than 100 years, for three generations or something. Mm -hmm. And they say the next day the emperor sent did two things. He sent gold to that man, and then he sent an envoy to Yixing to come back with Yixing pots. This is probably a legend, <laughs> but the the fact of the matter is, like if, if again, that you can really do this, and I have done this, right? Um, I, it's something I encourage my students to do. My teacher encouraged me to do it, which is brew gong fu tea with just water. But if you have a really excellent yixing pot and teaware and really good water, like you can just brew just the water through there and it, just have this amazing experience just mm. right from the yixing. Mm. If you, especially if you have like an antique yixing pot and you have really good like kettle and water and you just brew a session with just that water, you'll be amazed at the effect that it has. Uh, and that's a really good thing to do because, it, again, if you're following this order of water, then skills, then teaware, if you get those things down with just water to the point that you feel like, wow, like I'm really enjoying this water. This is surprising <laughs> that I can sit here for an hour and really enjoy myself without a single leaf of tea. You're at the point where like tea is ready. Hmm. Or you're ready to start inserting the proper ingredients, right? So, um, you know, all this stuff matters. Like, just like a, a in that in in method, I would include not just the brewing method, but also like chashi and ambiance mm -hmm. and the and the environment and whether to have incense or not, whether to have music or not, whether to all those things. Like, just like a fine restaurant, they they build they build it, they decorate it really nice. The chef starts working on the recipes and starts like, and they, they've already spent decades training as a chef. So they have the skills and methods, right? And then with all that, then they start plugging in ingredients, mm. right? So some really nice ingredients, right? So some really expensive truffles, for example, given to somebody that doesn't have any idea how to cook, let alone cook truffles, is a little bit of a waste of truffles. <laughs> yeah. Huh? And so, and also you could, you know, I'm not a chef, so I don't know this, but you could say like, there are certain recipes that require certain pans mm -hmm. that like so certain sauce pans that can hold temperature at a certain degree that, so that you can do this certain thing and turn those truffles into 
a certain dish that you couldn't otherwise if you didn't have that mm -hmm, for uh, sure those tools right so the same thing like when you've got the water and you've got the skills and you've got the tools now you're ready to prepare any tea mm -hmm. and bring it to its highest potential mm -hmm. and again these three things won't go anywhere the water is also needs to be renewed but the ability to choose the water can last a lifetime mm. once you've learned to select water and choose water yeah and you have the methods and now you have nice teaware and you know how to take care of it so it's not going to break it'll last your lifetime now you can start selecting tea but if i had you know if i if a person had a budget and they can get a really nice teapot and then drink some simple tea for a while for let's say five months that's great because now you got a really great teapot you can cultivate your skills look for some really great water and cultivate your skills while you save up to get a nice tea. Mm -hmm. And then by the time you have enough money to afford a really nice tea, you'll be ready to prepare it and you'll be able to taste it. Mm -hmm. Because when someone's starting out and you give them a hundred dollar, uh, you know, little bag of yen cha and some cheap yen cha, they might not know the difference anyway. Right. They, they aren't able to, and even if they can say, okay, this one's better, they can't really taste all of its nuances. Mm -hmm. They can't really taste all of the, what makes that tea so special. Those are things they have to learn. And so as you develop your skills of seeing and, and brewing, of selecting and brewing, and you, and you get the right teaware, right, then uh, the right tea, tea, tea will come. Also, there's karmic things in, in even finding the right tea. Right in our tradition, we always say, "As the person seeks the leaf, the leaf seeks the person." There's a destiny, and so part of what makes the besties find their way into your life in this mystical kind of karmic destiny way is having the right method and water and vessel. Mm -hmm. uh, she comes into the right vessel when you have the right vessel. You'll you'll summon her. In other mm -hmm. words, is what I mean. If you don't have the right tools, you might not get very much of those teas, right? So you, if you know someone that doesn't have a good brewing method, doesn't have good water, and uses very low-quality teaware, there's a really good chance that most of the teas they drink are also lower quality. Mm -hmm. And with the occasional maybe nicer one that finds its way to them, right? But if you, if you meet someone, if I go into a tea shop and I see that the, that the owner has really great teaware and a good brewing method, I can be sure that there's good teas in this place. Mm -hmm. When you go into a small tea shop and there's and they're using tap water and they're using really low quality teaware, you know that the teas also aren't going to be very good. Mm -hmm. When you go into a tea shop and you see, oh, this dude's got a bunch of antique tisa on the wall. He's got like antique porcelain cups. And then, wow, he's got a good method for brewing. Mm -hmm. I know that, that, he, that along with those method for brewing and choosing teaware, he knows how to choose tea. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be good teas in there mm -hmm. because good teas will find their way into what? Good teapots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. It's like if you have a mug and you put tea bags in it. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. But the kind of tea that's going to find its way into your life is the kind of tea that belongs in a tea bag in a mug. Mm -hmm. If you have a really nice Ishing teapot, then more of the kinds of teapot tea that, that that belong in such a teapot will find their way to you. And that teapot can last your whole lifetime, whereas teas will come and go. Mm -hmm. So that's this is why the teaware before tea. Mm -hmm. Right. It might seem counterintuitive, but it's not. Get the right teaware. Continue to cultivate your brewing skills. Get water. That was first, right? And once you have those three things, and you can actually sit and have like an hour-long session with just water and 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 be satisfied. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm talking like not just like that's acceptable, but you're like, walk, stand up from that session oddly, curiously, 
scratching your head, not knowing why, but you're standing up and you're like, wow, I'm actually satisfied. Like that water was good. When you're at that point, now you're actually ready to start inserting fine tea. Mm. And so mm-hmm. this is why in in our tradition in learning Gong Fu tea, I encourage my students to take like a month or two months, even three months, and just brew Gong Fu water. Mm-hmm. Get it to the point where you're able to taste water, select water, get your brewing method up, get the right teaware that's changing the water. You maybe be able to tell the effects on the water better than on a tea, mm-hmm. right? Do all the experiments with water that we you know we have so many experiments, right? And then when you're at all that, when you've got all that together, then start introducing tea. Mm-hmm. So back to the self-cultivation aspect of improving tea, Um, sometimes the correlation between what we ingest outside of our tea sessions and how we experience the essence of our tea isn't clear or even something that we're conscious of or to. Um, Can you give some insight on how improving your diet will simultaneously improve your tea? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, this is why we have an issue every year of global tea devoted to food and mm. tea. Super related. Um, just in the, just in the, like, you know, the more sensitive you become to the, your relationship to food on all levels. It's, it's not, you know, it's not, again, I talked about working with plant medicine is about shifting worldview. And sadly, the worldview over the last few hundred years in the West in particular has become more and more uh, a worldview that sees the universe as a conglomerate of stuff mm. um, and and material, right? And not energy and life and et cetera. And so there's a lot to eating more than just chewing stuff that becomes your stuff. There's a lot more than just the chemically analyzed fuel packets of uh, amino acids and vitamin Cs. And that, that whole perspective isn't wrong and is not to be dismissed. Mm-hmm. That's important to understand also the the you know we're not going back to an old worldview we need to create a new worldview that's a synthesis of of old and and new and not go back going back is kind of what the new age movement that began in the 60s was like let's go back but there's a naivety to that and of course that experiment kind of failed so uh i'm not arguing against the one could say scientific worldview or the chemical analysis of food or understanding or using all that skillfully to um, hone your diet, right? All that's important, but it's just an aspect. It's a layer. The physicality of eating is a layer. There's other layers. We eat for psychological reasons, for example. So understanding uh, one's psychological relationship to food is also very important. What foods are you attached to and why? And, uh, you know, Sometimes we're attached to foods that aren't good for us. And so dealing, breaking those attachments to foods that aren't good for our bodies is a part of diet as well mm-hmm. as understanding uh, physicality. But the more sensitive you become to ingredients, to energy, to the way food is grown, to the way it's prepared, to the way that it's eaten, to the way that it feels in your body, to the psychological reasons why you eat, mm-hmm. to which foods to eat, to how to you know, all the, the, those aspects of diet, the more that that becomes, more aware of it you become, the more sensitive you become, the more sensitive you'll be just of your body and life and consciousness in general. And that will be a big part of the self-cultivation that allows you to then be sensitive to tea and her subtler messages as well. So you're kind of opening that field um, without getting so deeply, deeply into uh, the politics of this argument, mm-hmm. um, like most uh, meditation practitioners in the East, 
uh, tea has a very strong relationship to vegetarian and or vegan diets. This is a, um, something that's been known for a long time. In fact, there are tea people. I'm not one of them. I want to underline not. But there are tea people who won't serve the highest grade teas unless everyone present is vegetarian. That's one of the criteria they use for bringing down these really high-end teas because some of these really high-end teas are rare. There might be only three sessions left on earth. Mm -hmm. And so how do you choose when to brew that tea? Mm. And so their method is when everybody present has, like I told you earlier with the Diamond Sutra, mm -hmm. like when the cultivation is there, when the right view, the right uh, philosophy and the right habits have already been instilled in that person, then they will be fertile to receive that. Mm. So in other words, th those teachers are using that criteria. So they're saying that when the when everything's fertile and ready, then um, we will then I'll serve this tea. And that's one of the criteria they use. I do not do that. I will serve tea to anyone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this isn't a matter of love. If you eat meat, I love you. I don't think you're any less. I don't think I'm cool because I don't. Um, however, having a light having a light body, eating vegetarian and or vegan um, increases sensitivity and it, it promotes lightness. It promotes meditation. It has for centuries. Eastern people have understood this, that meditation has a relationship to these kinds of diets and uh, and not just for the for the physicality of being lighter, but also for the, uh, one could say, more ethical reasons. But I don't think we have to go into the ethics of it. It just talk about compassion mm -hmm. and a love for other beings and, and of, um, you know. And one of my favorite poems is by Cold Mountain. And he says, if the beginning says, if you, if you want to, if you need clothes, get your own. Don't ask a fox. If, you, mm -hmm. if you're hungry uh, and you need a meal... You know, find your own food. Don't ask a goat. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like it's about this, right? About leaving animals be and and uh, and the compassion that results and and understanding and relating to that to your own heart and cultivating that love, and then realigning health so that health isn't just about me and my body and what my body needs or wants, but health is also about other beings. Mm -hmm. Because when all other beings are healthy, then I'm healthy too. And that includes future generations of beings. Mm -hmm. So my health is bound up in the health of humans seven generations later from now, mm. right? In order for me to, the memory of me and my tradition and lineage to live and thrive on, there has to be people. And in order for there to be people, there has to be an environment. And it has to be a healthy environment for those humans to be healthy. You don't find a healthy organism in an unhealthy environment. We are our environment. So... Um, so this is a re is a new worldview mm -hmm. where health isn't individual. Mm -hmm. um, it's 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 cooperative mm -hmm. and bigger, right? Just like the health of organism, all organisms in nature. By number, ninety percent of the cells in your body are non-human DNA. You are full of parasites and microorganisms, and you they are n absolutely essential for your survival. So their survival is your survival. Their happiness is your happiness. Their health is your health. They are a huge part of your health, your ability mm -hmm. to digest food, etc. So we are symbiotic with all kinds of creatures, right? If the plants on this earth die, we die. Mm -hmm. They create the oxygen, the fresh water, and all the food that we eat. So they are, are us as well. So this is a bigger issue. When it starts to become a bigger issue, that's part of what uh, focusing on diet, like I said, focusing on how your body feels when you eat certain foods and all the physicality, learning the chemistry of your body, all that's important. But so is the psychology of why you eat. Because if you don't deal with that, you'll continue to eat uh, foods that are unhealthy for you. You got to deal with disciplining the psychology of eating. Then you got to deal with the bigger things like what, how you, what you eat, how it affects the environment how it affects other organisms and their ability to thrive.
because if you damage them too much, then you will that will come back and, and damage your own health eventually. If not your own body, then your descendants, mm. right? And then all that you live for will die in the extinction of your species, right? So all of these things, it gets bigger and bigger, opens up. And the more that you're related to all of that, the more sensitive you become, the more, of course, that you will uh, be able to experience tea and stuff like this. So, um, there's, you know, it's it's a... Uh, if you're a tea person, experiment, I would suggest. I find that often tea people recognize the effects of if a lighter diet more quickly than others because they have this like gauge in their life, which is their tea, mm-hmm. right? So they their ability to like test agro, be able to uh, experientially detect agrochemicals increases, for example. Some people uh, within months can start saying, oh, these teas that I was drinking before, I didn't even notice that they had these things in it but now i do the more sensitive you become the more sensitive you become like that so mm-hmm. diet's important an important way to to cultivate yourself have a healthy body which is the vessel in which the tea will come just like tea where before tea right your body's healthy then tea's coming into a good vessel a mm-hmm. pure vessel i want to purify this vessel for her mm-hmm. so I, I i keep the vessel clean so that tea can come in right hmm. earlier you spoke about uh ingesting and taking in more of the tea and and also lessons um so can you talk about how to do that how to increase our capacity to take in and digest more of those things yeah i mean the psychic system is a lot like a digestive system they're actually even related uh, in chinese medicine so uh, you know because spirit and body and mind separation is a very western idea and it's and it's it seems to me to be an incorrect view Mm -hmm. that like mind for the psychologist body for the doctor and spirit for the church doesn't work we're a whole integrated system and so often digestive problems in a human are also related to that person's inability to digest experiences Mm -hmm. so people that are having a lot of digestive troubles are often also not metabolizing their Mm -hmm. experience properly they've got stuff that's unmetabolized often grief because our culture doesn't know what to do with grief anymore it's like it's not allowed uh, and we had these big wars where tons of humans died and none of them were grieved mm-hmm. so there's all this unmetabolized grief in all of our cells that was handed down to us you know mm-hmm. and uh we don't have a society that encourages it. ancient societies when somebody dies like you know in, in in tribal societies when somebody dies like you're encouraged to scream and pull out your hair and and cry right but not now now people want to pat you and say it'll be okay or some other trite thing. They don't want you to grieve. They don't want it to flow. Mm-hmm. They don't want you to cry. They don't want you to, right? Uh, just in this, I don't know if it was the last course or the course before, we were sitting drinking tea, and uh, one of the participants started to cry. I think it was two, a couple courses ago or something. And then the person next to her, I could see growing more and more and more uncomfortable with the fact that the person next to her was crying. Mm-hmm. I finally couldn't take it in, like, in the middle of the session, hugged that person. Mm. like the need to comfort them and stop their crying mm-hmm. was overwhelming that was societal mm-hmm. right she, she couldn't stand just leaving this person to just cry whereas i was perfectly comfortable with that person just crying in fact cry louder cry mm-hmm. more get it out mm-hmm. right but the person next to her was like I, this person's crying this person's crying this person's crying i can't take and like hug her and pat her and say it'll be okay and try and stop the crying like mm-hmm. that's our that's our like always our reaction to that and then so there's like a just stoppage of that so the ability to digest experiences uh, is very much related to um, our resistance to change which is one of the three causes of suffering in buddhism 
Um, and if you ask most healers in the world, they'll all agree that usually what's, what stands, what is the greatest stumbling block to healing and transformation in their patients, and this goes for psychologists, acupuncturists, and even allopathic doctors, I would say. One of the, one of the, one of the if not the, I think they would all agree that one of the greatest stumbling blocks, if not the greatest stumbling block to healing and transformation is the patient's own inability to surrender to change. So they come into the doctor and the doctor's like, look, you're starting to get black spots on your lung. You need to quit smoking or you need, you're, you're overweight and you're, and you're, and you're cholesterol levels too high and your blood pressure is too high you need to stop living so stressfully and stop eating these things that you're eating and they're like yeah okay doc and then they go right back to eating those things and doing those things and smoking those cigarettes and doing those stressful things and um don't change so they're they're the stumbling block to healing is often the ego's inability to surrender to uh to its own coming apart and reforming into new higher value and higher complexity forms of energy that alchemical process of digesting experience it breaks us apart right this is what happens on a physical level in seven years all the cells in your body are not you are changed they're completely different on a physical level right when you if you want to get fit what do you do you go break down your muscles and then you take in the right uh, nutrients right mm -hmm. good healthy ingredients and then the muscles use those to reconstruct themselves in a stronger, better way. Mm -hmm. And then you go break them down again. And then you take in healthy nutrients so that the building blocks that are being used to create the new are coming from good sources. So the same psychically. Mm -hmm. This is one of the biggest problems is that human beings aren't regarding their psychic system this way. And they're exposing their psychic system to essentially tons of junk food. Mm -hmm. YouTubes and Facebooks and all this stuff all day long. And to just, you know, constant sex and violence and et cetera. And so, uh, you know, with the psychicisms, then its nutrients are all junk food. But when we, but also there's a resistance to the breaking down. You don't want it to break down, right? So you got to kind of go to the psychic gym and break <laughs> down the ego, right? And then you have to consume into your psychic system healthy nutrients that the psychic system can use to metabolize to create its new form. Mm-hmm. And those healthy things come from, obviously, from sutras and books of the or teachings of the wise and images of the wise and, and surrounding ourselves with scrolls that have beautiful calligraphy or pictures of Buddhas or Jesus or, or altars or icons or, or, or positive people, having actual humans around who are positive and, and, mm -hmm. and say positive things and or, uh, you know, there's all kinds of or sometimes the opposite, sometimes having a human around that'll poke us to come apart might be the thing that we need as opposed to the, you know, oftentimes the Zen teacher nowadays isn't there to, to offer the healthy nutrients, but to poke, to catalyze the coming apart process because the ego doesn't want to come apart. It's stuck. Right. So more of the role of the healer is to break though that ego's inability to surrender to the process of coming apart. It doesn't want to go to the gym, in other words. Mm -hmm. It's lazy and wants to stay put. So it's like prod it to come apart. But then you need the right nutrients then. So you got to take in whatever those nutrients are for you. So you you can't. it's not enough to just go to the gym and break the muscles down if you continue to eat junk food. You won't get healthy. Even though you're going to the gym, you're breaking the muscles down. If you keep just eating junk food all day, the nutrients that the body's taking in to rebuild its muscles are no good. 
mm-hmm. the source of energy that it's taking in to rebuild is no good. So same thing psychically. You, in order to the whole process of self cultivation is this alchemy: break down the self, take in positive nutrients. It rebuilds itself in higher complexity and value energy. Break that down. Take in new experiences, for new good positive nutrients. Use utilize that. On to the next level, on to the next level, and so on and so on. And the more you stop resisting that and start aligning with it, just like if dude goes to the gym every day, disciplines himself, and then he also disciplines his diet, so he's eating very healthy foods, he will get fit. And so if you discipline yourself and do the things so that you surrender to the metabolism of, of coming apart and being reformed psychically, and you also ingest positive experiences and positive nutrients in the form of sutras, teachings, um, prayer, chanting, tea, ceremonies, uh, positive people and influence, etc. If you take all that in, and you and you surrender that process, then then the digestive system, the psychic digestive system, will get healthy, and the capacity will increase. It's like a vortex. Mm-hmm. The more you surrender to it, the quicker the transformation will happen, and more repeatedly. And there's forces that guide it, kind of, right. Jung talked about this even in Western uh, in Western psychology. Jung loved the alchemical language, uh, even of China. He he read the Golden Flower and used that often in his in his talking. And he said quite quite um, he said quite profoundly. Like if you think about it, the the ego is for all of us, even those who are resistant. The ego dies and is reborn, <clears throat> right? so your teenage self you don't feel that you are that same person anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> right, at all so and yet you still feel the same self so he related that to like below the, the ego which which dies comes apart and is reformed below that there's a deeper level that guides this process that's actually closer to what our true self is mm. from a buddhist perspective that would be like our buddha nature our true nature or whatever you want to call it right mm-hmm. so <clears throat> The more you can surrender to the process of change, the quicker it starts to happen, the more metabolism starts to flow, the more flow there is, the more the health of the system starts to kick in. And that's because that's the aim of, that's the purpose of our existence and and of our being. So that's its nature is to go through that. It's not really meant to stagnate. Stagnation is uh, causes dis-ease. Mm-hmm. So the more you're able to flow into that metabolism, th- that will increase your capacity naturally. Just like, as the dude gets bigger, his capacity to eat gets bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't know why this happened, but you know, many of you know I'm going to the gym and, and exercising mm-hmm. a lot of my body. So I actually watched this like uh, video of somebody went a week where they tried to eat what the rock eats. It was just unbelievable what that dude eats. Like I, like the, this person who was much bigger than me, this person in the video could not last three days eating what the rock eats. Mm. Mm. They couldn't do it like physically they could not take in that much that mm-hmm. many calories because dude's just huge right so in that in that same way right the more that he breaks down the muscles and takes in healthy nutrients and rebuilds them bigger and stronger his capacity to eat and exercise increases mm-hmm. he can lift heavier weights as he goes on he's getting stronger and stronger and his ability to lift weights is getting more and more he's he's pumping iron he's getting lifting heavier and heavier stuff and he's, and he's eating more like that right so in the same way, psychically, mm-hmm. you want to increase your capacity. That's the process. You you break down, you eat, take in healthy nutrients, you create a, a stronger, more complex system. That system can take in more. Mm-hmm. And so the more that that grows, the more that it can take in. Mm. 
Meditation is such an important and fundamental aspect of this tradition. In terms of the ways in which it can better our tea, what can you share about duration and frequency, for example? Um, yeah, I think, I think you know, the meditative mind tea should come out of the meditative mind, lead into the meditative mind, like circular, right? And part of meditation and part of our health and happiness is reconnecting with the biorhythms of this world and our own bodies, um, you know, a big part of what meditation is, is, is just that you're creating the spine, which is from which all the nerves that move all of our body, right? They move every part of our body come from out of the spine. And when we make the spine straight and strong and then still, still it. So put it upright and still it. All those connections become still. And the idea being that when the body stills, the mind will follow eventually. It might take some time if the mind's been overstimulated. But or if the or if the content that you're consuming psychically has not been disciplined, so you're consuming the wrong stuff, too much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so meditation very much puts us in connection with our biorhythms, and 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 tea should come out of that meditative space. When tea comes out of that meditative space, it then encourages other people who drink it to go into that meditative space. Tea that is prepared like any art, tea that is prepared from stillness. And presence will lead into stillness and presence, mm. right? Just like we can become more still and present as we talk right now. And then there's more stillness and present in, in my voice. <laughs> and then the more stillness and presence I put into my voice, the more you start to become still mm. and present as you listen to my voice. Mm. And the less we are caught up in the concepts of the words that we're saying and we start to be more present and breathe and be here, and be now, and this conversation itself then becomes meditative. Mm-hmm. We can even lose the track of what we're talking about. <laughs> so meditation, when tea, when tea comes out of a meditative mind, it leads to a meditative mind. Um, but for the sake of those biorhythms, this is why I think it's really important to meditate morning and evening. Um, this is old Zen saying, right? Meditate in the morning and evening for 20 minutes unless feel like you don't have the time then meditate an hour because feeling like you don't have time is the is the anti-meditative mind if your life is consistently full of a mind that feels like it doesn't have time you got the wrong mind so you should meditate more until you get back to a mind that doesn't have that time pressure which is not good for your physical health or mental health or spiritual health that feeling of there's not enough time in the day there's too much to do, etc. Right? That's stressful. You don't sleep well. You don't eat well. You don't live well. So I'd meditate more until that feeling goes away. <laughs> and when that feeling goes away, you'll be in a much better space to make tea. And that's the it's such this has become the norm in this modern age. It's like assume there's no cure for that. Like, what do you mean there's consciousness beyond the mind that feels like there's not enough time in the day? Some humans have never even like experienced a mind outside of that. Mm. Not since they were children. Right? Since they've been adults, they've never they, they're not even open to the possibility that there is a lifestyle beyond the mind of that there's too much to do and not enough time. And this is how, like, you know, my my first meditation meditation teacher, I some of you know I practiced uh, Vipassana. I lived in India in Damagiri with with uh Sachinari um, and Goenka and uh, Goenka's teacher uh, Saiji Ubukin uh, with just meditation 
he improved the efficiency of his entire government office by like 150%, so much so that they were taking, they were finishing all their work in a week and taking on the work of a whole other ministry, uh, like some of its overflow. And that was just by getting the humans in that office to meditate an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, before they before and after work. That's all he did. And go to a 10-day meditation course once a year. And so through a meditative mind, they started to, to live in a way that didn't include that mind of too much to do, not enough time. Mm-hmm. Because that mind is actually counterproductive. Because it causes stress, it also causes more mistakes, more frustration, right? And inability to flow and work properly. And so it's less efficient, actually. So you actually, in the end, get less done, even though that whole that whole feeling or sensation of that mind that there's too much to do and not enough time in the day is, I guess, rationally kind of built on the idea that there's too much to do and not enough time <laughs> to do it in the day, that you have to be more productive. And yet it itself is counterproductive. That's the absurdity of it. It is inefficient. Uh, so I would say if you have that feeling that there's not enough time for meditation, then you need to meditate more mm-hmm. until that feeling goes away. But time's not really important. Uh, you should. The idea is not to, you know, the assumption is that we, be, we cultivate ourselves by doing certain activities more. But that's not true. You don't become more spiritual by doing more yoga or meditation or tea. You become more spiritual by taking the mind that you cultivate in meditation and applying it to more of your activities like walking and brushing your teeth and cooking, etc. So you should, one could technically be meditating all day. That's ideally the goal of Zen. Everything done without remainder. That's Shinkan. Completely, wholly done for its own sake with the meditative mind. And not the meditative mind added as some layer on top of the experience. Like I'm chopping vegetables, but I'm also doing it in a hyper-aware meditative state. That's like icing on top of chopping vegetables, mm-hmm. right? Like Alan Watts said famously, like when he was discussing the differences between Christianity and Zen, he was like, you know, in Christianity, they want to chop potatoes and fill that act with prayers to God. In Zen, you just chop potatoes. Mm-hmm. That's the shinkan, that's the just. So that when I say meditative mind, I don't mean some hyper-state added on to chopping vegetables. I mean... Chopping vegetables without remainder, fully. Mm-hmm. And so if you're getting into doing everything that way in your whole day, tea helps to translate that meditative energy. It helps to bring it from the cushion into your life. It helps to translate it out and, and facilitate its movement into the life. So it's, that's one of its uses medicinally, is as a lubricant to bring the meditative mind more and more into the day. Mm. So there's a very strong bond between zazen and tea. And uh, in our tradition, if you're not meditating, you're not practicing tea, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in what the first step is to, um, you know, like if you ta- if you feel like your day is full and you, you, you also feel like you should meditate more to get back to that meditative mind, then what is the, the worst first step? Because you also feel like, but I can't leave, like I can't drop the things that I need to do, right? I still uh. need to do those things. So where do I find time to meditate more? There's your answer. You just, you just answer your own question. You drop those things and go meditate. But those things are important, like they're important, you know, obligations or, or tasks that are have been trusted to you. Right. There's not a, like, you know, you're getting into specifics and there's not an answer specifically because you're talking about the specifics. Like, what about my ex? What about my job? Mm-hmm. What about like my child who needs to be fed? Right. right? Like, the, you know, you're talking about specifics that don't matter. Um, 
obviously the two are not mutually exclusive. You've created that psychology. So that maybe is the first thing that needs to be dropped. That this issue, that these two things, why is your practice at odds with your life? You've created that dynamic. It's not true. That's not truth. You've created the feeling that your practice is at odds with your life and the two are in combat. So that in order to practice, you have to struggle against your life and overcome obstacles to make space to meditation. That's not, that's not true. The two can cooperate. Mm-hmm and facilitate one another um, and so the start of the cooperation and facilitation is an attitude of cooperation and facilitation rather than an attitude of antagony mm-hmm. thank you so much uh Buddha, for sitting down with us again and and exploring this uh really fascinating topic i hope the listeners will get a lot out of it i certainly have and um thank you morgan for being my co-host Uh, Thank you listeners for listening. I hope to see you in the next episode of Life of Tea. Thank you. Thanks everybody. If you have enjoyed this episode, then please help us reach more people by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Your comments, likes, and shares will go a long way and are deeply appreciated. Another way to support this project and our free tea center here in Miali, Taiwan that you can come to visit is to sign up for the ad-free magazine that we publish every month. It covers all aspects of tea from processing and brewing techniques, history, lore, spirituality, and community. It also comes with a tin of beautiful, sustainably produced tea. To subscribe, go to globalteahut.org. If you would like more information on linear topics such as brewing techniques, feel free to check out our YouTube channel, also called Global Tea Hut. <laughs>